everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy even in infertility. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. We have another tearjerker today, but as always, it is an episode filled with truth and hope. Christine Western has two precious daughters that live in her home, but that is not the full story. Christine's first daughter, as she tells it, lives in a different zip code. She lives in heaven. We chat about the loss of her daughter, Darla, and how having two daughters does not change the impact of the loss of Darla's life. If I look at it at, a, at, at that moment when she died, but God is in control, I can't make sense of it. You just can't. But I'm, that's not my whole, that's not the whole story. The, it's only like a teeny tiny piece of this whole big story that we're a part of. Like even just our lives are just like a tiny part of a really, really big story. So what I came to realize is that that was a part of this story and it was a very sad part, but it wasn't the whole story. I encourage you to grab a cup of coffee, grab a box of tissues, and sit down with Christine and I and hear her perspective about loss, about how candid her relationship with God became through that, and her perspective on eternity. Let's get to our conversation. Hey, Christine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell our listeners a little about who you are and your family and what you do. Sure. Um, so well, my name's Christine, Christine Western, <laughs> my husband and I, and we've been married for about seven, seven and a half years now. I like to do halves just because I feel like you should get more credit. successful at this thing. Yeah. <laughs> you get credit for every, every little bit of marriage. So, cause, um, yeah, you, you earn it. But, um, we live about 45 minutes outside of, of Boston. We have two girls and that live with us and we have our chubby, cat chubby house cat um we are both my husband and I are pretty avid runners my husband's John um this year we're super excited we're running the Boston Marathon together which is something like a goal that we've both had for a pretty long time and this is the year that so you guys have never done it together or done it never done it together um we've run races together before but both of us have never run it the marathon before so this is our first time running it and so we're very excited um, my husband's a patent attorney and he works in Boston and I work from home. Um, I work from home as a recruiter and we are pretty busy with work and with running and trying to schedule our runs and our girls and life, but, um, we make it work. Um, we met in college. We met at the university of Michigan. So we're pretty good, pretty big U of M fans. Um, and we moved around a lot when we first got married. Um, uh, for John's job, just different job opportunities. And so we've done our fair share of moving, but we're definitely rooted here for a while. So we love it here. Awesome. So where are you originally from? We are originally from Michigan. Um, okay. I grew up in Michigan. My husband was born in Minnesota and moved to Michigan um, when he was in, in school. Awesome. So, yeah. So you have two kids. So tell us mm-hmm. about your, your girls. So I have, we have two girls, um, Gracie's three. She is, I don't know. She is a lot like me. She, we, she's something you just gotta meet. You just gotta meet her. She is this, 
we call her this precocious, um, wonderful little girl that just uh, is into everything. Um, three is such an interesting age because you know they're learning, they're learning so much, but they're trying to figure out the world and where they fit. And so, um, but she's she's a lot of fun. She has so many big ideas. And then we have eighteen uh, month old Avery. Um, Avery is a lot different than Gracie, but very similar. Um, extremely active. She's my like climb the refrigerator type kid that yeah pulling off with things and chasing around and racking up steps. But um, she's a lot of fun too. So those are my two girls. Um, when John and I, um, when we first got married, John and I had always we knew that we always wanted to have a family, and so these are our two girls that live with us. But it's an interesting question when I start talking about my family because they're not my they're not my only two children that have been you know in my heart and that I've carried and so I I struggle with how to answer that um, mm-hmm. when people ask me that because I, I have another daughter and she was my first daughter um, and uh, so when John and I got married we knew we always wanted to have a family and so we started trying. We started trying about two years into our marriage. And I had always wondered if I would have some sort of thing. I had a feeling, I just had a feeling that there was going to be something. Um, so when we got pregnant right away, we got pregnant after about two months of trying, which I was very surprised. And I was very, I was very scared. I felt very, um, I felt, I just felt something. And but you know, we made it through the first 14 weeks of the pregnancy, you know, everything seemed fine. I seemed healthy. I was feeling nauseous a lot, but, but good. And, um, so I tried not to worry about it and just maybe chalked it up to mom anxiety. Right. And, um, we didn't do any scans before our 20 week scan. We just felt like we knew what, what we would do. And we, we just didn't, I don't know, we just didn't feel like we wanted to do any scans before the typical 20-week um, anatomy scan. And so, you know, the excitement was really building for that. And we um, we were sitting in the waiting room, I remember, for my 20-week ultrasound, and we were just like, it was just palpable when we were in the room. We, um, we were really hoping that day that we would find out the gender of the baby and we just couldn't wait to see the baby. And so I remember they called us back to the room and we went down the hall and we went into this, you know, dark room. It was very warm and they put the belt, the goo on my belly and, um, the ultrasound started. And I remember John and I were just looking at this screen and we were just completely in awe because we saw, we saw feet and legs and arms and we could see eyes and just tiny parts of this baby that we had made. And we, the technician kept commenting on how wiggly the baby was, but I remember I already kind of knew that because I was starting to get the the swirls and pops, felt like popping bubbles. And um, Mm. I had this, this sense of pride um, that I knew that she was a wiggly baby. I remember just being really proud of myself. And um, so she took pictures for about 15 minutes and remember she measured the thigh bone and she showed us the brain and the the heart beating. And I remember I noticed her hands and her hands were, they were balled up into these, these fists. And I remember thinking, 
that she looked like she was like a boxer, like she was getting ready to like fight or something like that. And I didn't ever think that, uh, that anything was wrong at that point and everything was just flowing as she was dancing around. And so the technician left and she hadn't been able to get the gender. Um, she said she couldn't see it. And she was hoping that the doctor would be able to see it. And so when he entered the room a few minutes later, I remember being really happy to see him, but he just barely introduced himself and he sat down. He was, he was at the machine and he was just clicking very methodically and, and mm. very controlled. And I remember him pushing on my stomach really hard and I got a little concerned. I thought this doesn't seem normal. It's like he was searching for something that he couldn't see. And then I noticed the screen and he was zooming in on the brain from all these different angles. And it was just the brain and clicking and clicking and, and not saying anything. And then I remember he finally said, I have some bad news. And I just thought, I knew I should have known. I felt something. He said, I have bad news. Your baby is not developing normally. And that was the moment when I just felt, I just felt this, this crack, you know, my heart just broke. Mm -hmm. I just felt, I just felt in that moment that I knew what, what I had felt, what I had wondered if it was going to happen was happening and that this, what was coming next was going to be a really, really, really hard. And I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to do it. And so he listed off all his concerns and um, that our baby's hands weren't open and um, that she had a smaller than normal cerebellum, which is the back part of the brain. And um, the biggest concern was that she had a hernia and her hernia was causing her bowels to develop and up near her lungs. And because of that, her lungs couldn't grow and um, her kidneys were too small and one of them was too small and they were worried that her chin might be inverted. And it was just this, this list of reasons to just fear mm. everything that was coming. And um, I remember he stopped and then it was just really quiet in the room and he was just looking at me and I remember I heard the words and it just was, well, we can't end it. And I realized that, that I had said that, that I just, we couldn't end it. And then I remember he said, get cleaned up and meet me in my office. And he left and I just screamed and I just, and I just held each other. And it was just this, just this desperate moment of just, this is going to just really, really stink. <laughs> and, um, he didn't tell us where his office was. So when we left and we were just kind of wandering around the halls, like looking for the office. And it was a Friday. And so mostly everyone had left the office by that point. And um, we sat down, we found him, we sat down and he was going over his concerns. And then he asked us if we would consider interrupting the pregnancy. And I knew, I knew what he was talking about. And I just, I told him that's not an, that's just not an option for us. And so, um, he said, well, the next step is to get an amniocentesis. And so he scheduled one for Monday with his partner. And uh, I, I don't, an amnio is when they take a very long needle and they extract some of the amniotic fluid from directly from your, your belly. And they test it for a different, they test the DNA. And so um, before we left, I remember we asked him to try and find the gender. And he said he would be 
happy to take another look. And we went back in the same room mm-hmm. and it was a very different feeling going in there. And I remember he started the machine and looked around for a while. And then I remember just knowing again what was coming. And he said, it's a girl. And mm-hmm. I just was like, because I had always wanted a baby girl. And I had it. And I, I had her. And now this this person was telling me that I probably wasn't going to be able to keep her. And so we went home that night and we chose her name. We chose Darla Jane. We just felt like that was Mm. the most beautiful name because Darla meant darling. And Mm. Jane was the name of my grandma, my mom's mom that passed away when I was five. And she really meant a lot to me. And then we had to call our families because they were waiting to hear from us. So we called them and I remember it was awful because they answered immediately and they were so excited and we had to do we had to do to them what that doctor had to do to us and I I sort of felt empathy for him in that moment because we had to just call them and just crush them and Mm -hmm. I was like how does how do you do this how what is how do you say this to somebody and so I said it right away when they answered I said there's there's a problem um and we had those calls and those were, those were very difficult. And, um, we went through the weekend and we tried to distract ourselves that weekend. And we went back that Monday. I remember too, that weekend, the doctor called us to check on us because he was very worried oh, wow. about us. And that was, I thought really nice. And so the weekend passed and we went back Monday for our next set of scans and the technician started the ultrasound again, and it was a different technician than we had had the first, the past Friday. So she didn't know really a lot about what was going on just from the notes. And the second they started it, she was up on the screen and I remember noticing her hands right away and her hands were open. And I was thinking that's very strange because that was one of his top concerns this that her hands were balled up, but her hands were open. It was like, she was like waving hi to us. And it, I sort of, that was a, a moment that told me that this is not going to be what you expect. Nobody's, nobody's going to be able to, this, this is going to, this is going to puzzle everybody, this whole experience. No one's going to be able to, to figure it out. And you have to see it through because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, as the scan continued, the new doctor came in and he went through everything and he looked at Darla and then he asked us to come into his office. So we went into his office and he hadn't spoken to us yet. And so we had to go through everything again. And he listed off his concerns, which included the hernia and her lungs and her kidney and her cerebellum and her chin. Those were his five concerns um, with the, the hernia and the lungs not developing being the top concern. Um, and he told us that our baby didn't have much of a chance at life after birth. And he warned of if she did survive, her life would be full of surgeries and equipment and specialists. And if she even made it past birth. And he, I remember saying. Did the other doctor tell you that? The other doctor warned me that the baby would likely, that I would have a late term miscarriage or that she would likely be stillborn. Okay. So this, this doctor said that she will not be stillborn. He thought that she would be born, but she wouldn't survive after birth. Mm. So this doctor was telling us that he, he was strongly advising us to not get, he said, do not get on that train. I remember him saying that train. And I was thinking, how can you t- say that to me? Um, and I remember he knew that we wanted more children and he 
said, you have to think about your future children. And he said something to us like, when it comes time for your future kids to go to Girl Scouts and go to ballet lessons, and then he circled the list and he said, not with this child. He said, their lives will be consumed by their older sister. And I thought, what do you, like, I, that was such a horrible, that was such a horrible feeling to have to figure out. And so I was just so exhausted. And I said, we just can't end it. And then. um, So the train he was talking about was keeping the baby. Keeping the baby alive. And Mm -hmm. what it was going to take to keep her alive after she was born, if she survived and surgeries. And, you know, he was talking about my baby and he told me, he said, I don't know what religion you are, but no matter what, God's going to love her anyway. And I knew that to be true, but I just, I just knew that God didn't, I had to, this was part of the, the story that I had to, I just had to see this through and I just had to meet, I had to meet her and a couple of weeks later after the amnio, it was, it was very quick. And I don't really remember a lot about that appointment after them because I just couldn't stop listening because I had decided at that point and I knew what we had to do. We had to see this, this pregnancy through, um, a couple of weeks later, I remember we got something in the mail and it was from the first doctor and he sent us his report and he said, um, the couple appears to have a moderate understanding of the challenges. And I thought that was like, I was like, no, we understand the challenges. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing moderate about we, what we understand. I'm living. We just with don't you. accept your outcome. Yeah, I'm living with these challenges. Like, mm-hmm. I know this list better than he does. I think about this list every single day. And um, my husband and I just, we were just starting to accept that what was going on was just completely it was just bigger than us and and because of Darla's kidneys um they weren't sure if she was going to produce enough amniotic fluid to survive or if she was going to produce too much and she ended up producing too much and so I had extremely high fluid levels and I went from having nothing to looking like I was having people thought I was having twins twin twin boys they'd say because you just you're huge and um it was it was awful to walk around like that because Mm -hmm. people that I didn't know would see me and they would be so happy and they'd say oh you know you're pregnant do you have morning sickness is it a is a boy or is it a girl and have you have you chosen the nursery colors and it's like I remember I would just I would just lie to people. I would say, "Yeah, we," and I would make up a story because I thought this person doesn't need to know the details, and I'm never going to see this person again. So I'd be getting mm-hmm. like, um, getting my nails done. I'd say, "Oh yeah, we picked gray for the room," and I would just be saying these things and just wishing that all of those things were were actually true because I thought, doesn't that sound nice? Um, and so and I was just after all those appointments and everything, I was just beginning to worry that we were being written off where we were at. And so that we weren't, that they didn't really see why we wanted to keep this going. And so I, um, I did some research and I decided that I was going to like, we were, I was going to drive, drive that train. (laughs) And so I made an appointment with Boston Children's Hospital. They have an excellent um, program for a diaphragmatic hernias. And it's like one of the top in the country. 
And so my care was was transferred to the high-risk OBGYN that's affiliated with the um, Children's Hospital. And so we literally had the best care lined up mm-hmm. for me and for her. And um, then we just had we just had to wait. And um, around 27 weeks, I was sitting at my desk working, and I started to I felt what I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I felt a gush or not. And I was worried about preterm labor at that point. And so I went into the hospital and I did end up spending five days in the hospital on bed rest. The contractions had started, but they managed to stop the labor. Um, And it was interesting because, you know, when I was walking around outside of the hospital going about my, my work, my days, I was able to, you know, I would know I was pregnant and people would talk to me about it, but I could, I could keep some distance from, from it all a little bit and try and protect myself because I was just so terrified of what could happen. And, but that couldn't happen at the hospital. And at the hospital, I remember I spent five days hooked up to just monitors and I fell asleep to the sounds of her heart beating and her moving around. And um, I heard her hiccups and I remember I learned to drink juice to make her move around. And, um, as much as I thought that I loved her before I went in, um, when I left the hospital, I was just completely, I just let myself, I let everything go. And I just let myself just fall completely in love with this baby that I got to have. And I remember feeling so vulnerable just because I didn't care anymore. I didn't care if I got hurt. I thought I just have to love this baby because she's hanging on and staying with me and, you know, loves, loves crazy like that. And so a couple of weeks went by and I tried to, I tried to stay off my feet and stay on bed rest, but I was so confused when I left because they told me not to stay on bed rest, but to stay off my feet. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so I tried to do enough to keep myself busy, but not too much to wear myself out. And um, so I remember I woke up on November 30th and I was cooking and I felt fine and I felt proud of myself because I was standing and cooking. And then I went, I took a nap on our couch and I remember waking up from that nap to the feeling of just this gush fluid just coming out and my water had broke and I was barely 30 weeks. I was 30. Well, I was barely 30 weeks, which was two weeks earlier than the doctors said I needed to be to perform any interventions on her. So I remember I was just standing in the bathtub with all this extra fluid and just gushing out of me, just screaming. And I was just crying and I just wanted everything to stop. And I was just pleading with God and just saying, God, you know, it's too early. You know, please don't let this happen. You know, I've accepted it and I've done all the things that I was supposed to do. And you can't let this happen. Um, but, uh, you know, we went to the hospital and I was in a lot of pain and I could see 
on our drive-in that my shirt was a lot smaller, that I had lost a lot of fluid, and I could see the contractions happening. They were very mm-hmm. strong, and it was um, when I got there, they found I was at seven centimeters, which to give oh, her, wow. yeah, you have to be at ten. So like it was, it was she was coming, and um, they wanted to do I, I they wanted to do a C-section because she was so early that they were and she was breech. So her shoulders were up and her, she was feet first. And so they were really worried about a lot of things, having her be breached. And so they got me all prepped for surgery. But the C-section they would have had to do on me at that time would have been very high up um, because of how early it was. And um, so they said, you know, you can, we're going to, I was in the operating room. There was tons of people there. Just like so many students, they brought so many students in from medical school and they're saying, is this okay? And I'm like, I guess so. Like, sure. Um, so me, I, I was laying there and I was all ready for surgery and my doctors were there and her team was there. Her team from Children's Hospital had made it and they were going to try. And I remember feeling so relieved that they were, they were going to try and fix her. And they said, you, you should have a C-section right now but we're going to let you try and push. And I was so unprepared for birth and I just listened to what everybody was telling me. And I just did everything that they said. And I thought, I am going to give birth to this baby. And I did. So 30 minutes later, um, after a couple pushes and, and she was born, um, and I, I knew Darla wouldn't cry when she was born. Her lungs were just too small, but I was still listening for it because I was just so hopeful and I thought maybe she'll cry, but she couldn't. And she was very quiet. And um, they worked on her for a couple minutes at that point and I was recovering and um, the neurologist came up to me, I remember, and she said, we know that there were concerns about her brain and, and she's not moving like she should be and and they've been trying for a while now and we just can't get her heart to start and I remember pray I remember just praying one word I just said just please and then John started walking up to her and then her machine started beating her heart started beating and I was very relieved because I knew that I was going to get to meet her Mm -hmm. Um, so they took her back to children's hospital her team went back with her and John came back to my room with me, and um, I was eventually moved to the birth recovery floor, which was awful because everyone around me was recovering from birth with they had their babies, and I remember I walked into a room with all this this stuff about how to care for a baby, and I thought, mm. who prepped this room? <laughs> like I don't want this in here. Oh, yeah. I was staring at this poster of this mom doing skin to skin contact with her baby and thinking this is that's what I want to be doing right now. Um, and then eventually her team called John and they wanted us to come and see her. And so we went over to Children's Hospital. There's a bridge that connected my hospital to her hospital. And um, when we got there, uh there were, there were just so many people in her room. It was just a crowd of people. And I felt really afraid because I thought, who are all these strangers touching her? Like, I didn't, 
I knew they were her team, but you know, you feel like I want to know the people that are touching my baby. Um, and they saw us and I remember the crowd just parted and I could finally see her and she was so small. And I just felt at that moment, just, I just loved her so much. Um, and then the doctor came up to us and let us know that you know, she's not doing very well on the first ventilator, and they were going to switch us over to another switch her over to another ventilator. But the they wanted us to be there to see it just in case she didn't make the switch. Um, so I stepped up to her bed and I got to look at her face, and I just couldn't believe I couldn't believe it. Like she was just so beautiful. Um, we spent a little time with her and they switched her ventilator and then to her to like they were all so surprised she started to improve and she got better and the doctors actually felt good about where she was at and they said why don't you go back to your room and get some rest and I said okay so I went back across the bridge and went to sleep for about 45 minutes and then John's phone rang and I knew it wasn't good and I hated myself at that moment forever leaving. I what, wish I, I wish I would have stayed. Um, and we came back and they just said, she's not, this is, I could tell that that, that, that it was it. Um, we went back and in her room, it was, it was almost empty and, and she was there and it was just her and her nurse monitoring her vitals and, um, she was all dressed in this white, or she was dressed in this white dress and this white hat, and she looked like she looked like she was like all ready to go be an angel. It was just perfect, and and the nurse said, you know, she knows you're here. I can see it in her signs, and so um, I felt my heart lift and drop at the same time because something so small and fragile was comforted, knowing that. I, that I was there and I felt like that I was just so thankful that she knew me and um we took turns holding her and she was so small as I said she's just so small and fragile and we talked to her and we we took pictures with her and we took videos with her and um we told her that you know you're so perfect just like you are and it was I just told her constantly I think I said it constantly I said I just love you and I know that she couldn't she didn't know what I was saying obviously but I was hoping that she could feel it and um we spent about 12 hours with her we stripped her down to her diaper and I got to do that skin to skin with her and um I fell asleep holding her and I've just never felt so desperate and just so just scared and desperate and loved and all at the same time and you know I kept asking them if there was anything else that they could do and then they just kept holding telling me that that they couldn't and, and so after about 12 hours she passed away and it was just I was just and we were leaving her room and I remember just looking at her lips and her perfect like her perfect little lips and thinking like someone has to someone has to kiss these lips one time so I went back and I kissed her lips and then I left and it was 
It was just the hardest, hardest couple of, it was the hardest day of my whole life. And so I didn't, I didn't know, you know, where to go from there. That was, you know, you could, I left the hospital as quick as they would let me leave um, after giving birth. And I went home and I just heard so much. Those couple weeks were just the, the hardest. There's just no words even thinking about it. That was five years ago. And I, I did, still don't even know. I don't even know how it, how I did it. Well, I mean, I do, but it was... It was awful. Um, so, what did those those few months look like? What, how did how how was your relationship with God affected by that? How did well, you approach Him? You know, when I was when I was in the hospital, and I did a lot of praying, and then I left, and I felt very I felt mad, but I also felt sad. I just felt like he knew all of those things. It just, I couldn't make sense of any of it. And I got this card, I got a card from a family friend. And I remember I, I, I kept it and I wrote it down. I wrote it down a bunch of places for myself. And it said, let the arms of heaven hold you close so he can whisper these words in your ear. Oh, yes, I know about loss. I know it's hard to live in this world. I understand. I count your tears. I am here with you, for you, surrounding you with comfort and peace until you step into eternity, or I promise to wipe every tear from your eyes forever. And so I would just repeat that to myself, that you have to, you have to keep going because she is waiting there and you have to, you have to keep going for her. And so I would wake up in the mornings and I would like brush my teeth, just do the bare minimum stuff. I would, I took my maternity leave from work anyway, and I just would get up and I would pull myself out to our couch. We lived in an apartment, had this little sectional couch, and I would sit there in the corner of the couch and I would just cry and pray and write and read for hours. And I just would, would just talk to God. And I felt like, um, my relationship with God got very, it got very candid. I would be able to say like, you just know that it felt very conversational. Everything felt so, because I just didn't have, I didn't really have anything to hide. You know, he had been there through all of it, knew everything. And I was just, it got very candid. And after a while I started to get very very curious as to what was next in my life because I felt like all of this, all of this, all of these moments were weaving together in this way that was, that was taking shape on its own. And so I was starting to become curious for what was next and, you know, what, what should I do next? And, but then I would get knocked back down again and I would miss her and I would just feel this longing for any, any baby, any child that I saw. I just was like, I really, you know, um, I remember, um, my mom said to me that, you know, God, that it, that 
she realized after losing her own mom that God never promised that we weren't going to go through hard things. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that um, being a good person wasn't going to protect me from bad things. But being the person that I knew that he had made me to be was going to define how I handled those things. And I don't doubt, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I wonder if things could have been different, but deep down I know that they could, they would, could not have been different and that I did, I did what I was supposed to do. Um, so yes, that's all me. <laughs> so kind of a, kind of a follow-up question on that, that I feel like a lot of people have to wrestle with when they experience loss how do you reconcile the truth that God is in control, but Darla died? That's really, it's, if I, if I look at it, if I look at it very small, and if I, if I look at it at a, at, at that moment when she was dying, or when she died, but God is in control, I can't make sense of it. You just can't. But I'm, that's not my whole, that's not the whole story. The, it's only like a teeny tiny piece of this whole big story that we're a part of. Like even just our lives are just like a tiny part of a really, really big story. So what I came to realize is that that was a part of this story. And it was a very sad part, but it wasn't the whole story. It wasn't, it wasn't, if you, if you look at, if you look at a very tiny part and you can't see the whole picture, then it's not going to make sense. And we can't make sense. We can't, I couldn't make sense of it because I just wasn't supposed to. I had to let it do, I had to let her death and losing her do the work, do what it was supposed to do for me. And so I felt all of the, I, I would let myself feel each feeling as it came up. So if I felt mad, I would lean into that feeling and I would just feel mad and I would pray about it. And then if I felt sad, I would lean into that feeling and I would just go feel all these feelings. If I felt confused, I would write about it. And eventually I got to a point where I was like, I am not, I, this, I am not going to be able to ever make sense of this thing, but lives can be short little just because her life was short doesn't mean that it meant any any less than my life or anybody else's life and that's when I decided to start talking about it and and trying to use it because loss is a part of life it's a really hard part of life but if you can take that loss and turn it into something beautiful that will help somebody down the line then her life will mean much more than than anything that's that's how I tried to that that's just what it what I came to realize that I could make her short little life mean more than someone who's you know never known loss so speaking of sharing that you know, you, you talked about in the beginning about how hard that question is, is tell us about your two daughters or your daughters or your family. Mm -hmm. How do you choose now to answer that question? Um, some, I take it as a a case by case thing. So if Mm -hmm. we're, if we're at the grocery store and someone says, Oh, um, 
is that your first? People would say that to me with my baby. Like, is that your first baby? And I would say, I would say yes, because I felt like she is my first in so many ways that I can still say she is my first because she is my first like she is my first daughter that I've had to, you know, change diapers and wake up in the middle of the night. She is my first in so many ways. And so mm-hmm. I, I talk about Darla when I feel like Darla will, Darla's life can bless this person. Her story can mm-hmm. bless this person. And yeah. so that's, that's when I talk about it. Um, it's a hard, it can be a hard decision to make sometimes, but then other times I just, I let myself just flow (laughs) you know just say what feels right yeah so I think for people who haven't experienced loss like what you have and so many other women it's easy to think that maybe it's forgotten after you filled your heart and your home up with two kids now two more little girls Mm -hmm. but how does this how does losing Darla still affect your day-to-day even now what is it five years later you know it was interesting when I was bringing, when I brought, when we were getting ready to bring Gracie home from the hospital, I was thinking, this is going to, I was very afraid at first that she was going, I was very afraid that she was going to die, that something, that she was just going to, to leave me. I'm, I, we were driving home from the hospital and I fell asleep watching videos of like infant, CPR. I was so afraid Mm. that she was going to die. And I had to really sit with that as a new stage of grief that you you think you're, we waited, um, Gracie was born um, about a year and a half after Darla died. And maybe, yeah, a year and a half after Darla died. And, you know, in that time I had done a lot of things and I was feeling a lot better, but it was, it was still sticking around. And um, it was a new stage of grief that, came out when we brought her home. I had to um, get comfortable with the fact that I was in in charge of this baby and that I had good intentions and I was going to do the right things. And I had to really build my confidence as a, as a mother that, you know, what happened with Darla was not my fault. I couldn't have changed it. And this baby is a different baby that I do have to respect as different. And I do have to honor my own good intentions. And so one night I was feeding her and I brought her back. I laid her down and I thought, that's all I can do. I'm doing the best that I can with this baby and I don't have bad intentions. Um, and so I think when you first bring a baby home after loss, you can really, you can really be afraid and sitting the same as after the loss, just sitting with it and leaning into those feelings can really change the way that you move forward with your parenting um, and raising. Um, And not to switch gears too much, but I mean, losing Darla has, has really, she, it's really changed every, a lot of little pieces of my life. Like um, I kiss my kids all the time and I hug them all the time. And I tell Gracie all the time, I am so thankful that you are here. And we have moments, we have moments where I'm like, this is very hard. Like I am very mad right now, but we, we can work through those. And I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful for everything. I'm thankful for everything with them. I have no expectations of them. I'm just thankful to spend time with them and to be with them and to unwrap these beautiful 
these beautiful little people that have come after her and and really kind of stitched stitched my heart back up um mm. my marriage was better my my you know my husband and it was really hard after losing her and, and having the doctors tell tell us um the doctors told us they gave us a diagnosis for her but the diagnosis they gave us didn't for Darla but the diagnosis didn't fit perfectly and they said we're not entirely sure what your risk of recurrence is so we're going to say 25% it could be anywhere from 25 to 15% recurrence rate and because we're not really sure and so after that John and I had to decide that we had to we had to you know knowing that you're with the person that you're meant to be with it doesn't make a lot of sense to you it can't make sense when you know you're with the person that you're supposed to be with why would this happen? You know you're you know that you know that you would be a wonderful parent to this baby. Why did your baby leave? Why did your baby die? Is it something between the two of you? And so, you know, we just had to I had to accept that there was a what what if we never had a healthy baby? I would have to be okay with that. And together we worked through it. And we actually, we actually trained for our first marathon together. That was how we got mm. through her, her loss. And we worked together on that. And, um, you know, our marriage became, it was a partnership before, but, you know, during, when I was in the hospital losing Darla, I have never felt that way about anybody that, wow, this person that's here with me right now, uh, he can make all of my decisions and he would make the same decision that I would make. Mm-hmm. And I trust this person more than I trust anybody. And that's a, that's a really important thing in marriage that can get overlooked. So you mentioned on Instagram recently that last year you really embraced sharing your story more. What is that? How has that kind of transpired? Well, so it's been five years, as I said, since I lost Darla and a lot can happen in five years, you know. Um, and I just got to the point where I was just seeing, I was just seeing a need. I was seeing a, a real need for her story, and I felt really ready to share it. I felt like I, you know, had seen enough, and my story had kept going, and had, you know, God had kept working in my life and brought all these different people in, and um, I just decided that. Um, her story couldn't rest with me. I wasn't going to let it just fizzle out. Um, and so, uh, Christmas this year, I was getting ready for the day and thinking about the Christmas season and we lost Darla December 1st of 2013. And it was an interesting time of year to lose a, a child because everyone around you is getting ready to celebrate Christmas and they're happy and how you're feeling, what you're feeling on the inside does not match what, uh, what's going on on the outside. And I knew that, that there are, there is a woman right now that is losing, that is getting news like I got and trying to reconcile that with the world around her. And how can I speak to that, that person, that woman, because it's a, it's a unique way of thinking. And so I wrote um, a piece um, just in, in Christmas time in pieces for the mama who lost her baby. And I spoke to 
the difference that the, the way that I just spoke, I tried to write like things that I would want, I would have wanted to hear five years ago. Um, and once I saw that that piece helped people, um, I decided to, to really keep going with it, not to just write about it once in a while, but to make it a regular thing. And so I have started writing about just the different pieces of, of brokenness that happen when your life is shattered. When you lose a child, you have all these different things that are affected in different ways. You know, your marriage and your work and your body image and all these different things that make up you are all touched when something so massive um, happens to you that is hard to make sense of. And so um, th- I'm just really hoping that in speaking to these different pieces of brokenness, I can I can use her story and use her 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 sweet little life to make other women feel like you know you might be broken right now, but you're not you're not beyond repair. And I understand how you feel, and you're very loved. And those things. Those things are all just so important to me. And um, and so I feel like in embracing my story, I had to embrace that, you know, it had happened. But look, but look where we are now. Look, look what can happen if you just keep going and just keep taking those next little steps, the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, look what your story, look what your story can turn into. It can turn into something that you couldn't have even imagined for yourself. Yeah, I read through those this week and they're just so the way that you laid out the lies and the truth are are so powerful. So we'll definitely link those up on the show notes. Um I do want to ask you to do one more thing, but first of all, I just want to thank you for for deciding that, for for deciding to sh- to be so vulnerable with your story about Darla. I think I think it's just going to be powerful for a lot of women to hear. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the space. And I think, you know, podcasts and blogs are these kind of these things that are going to live on way past their time. Um, mm-hmm. You don't know at what point a woman's going to press play on this episode. It could be years down the road. And maybe she, like you said, she just got that news. Mm-hmm. Um, or she's about to walk into a point, an appointment where she's about to hear that for the first time. And so would you mind praying over that woman and just praying for her heart as we as we finish out today? Absolutely. Definitely. So God, you know, you know this world and you know what can happen. And and you know that right now there, there is a woman and she's hurting and she's trying to make sense of something that we, we can't make sense of. We just, we just can't. And I pray that you just meet her right where she's at. If it's at the bottom of the the darkest pit that she ever thought that she would be in and that she never thought she would be that low and and you just meet her where she's at and you just remind her who she is and who you are and what you can do and what she can do with you. I pray that you just carry her and you make her feel so safe and that you give her an open heart and that you together that she be brave and I pray over her baby 
I pray over her loss. I pray over her heart and her marriage and her home and her family and her recovery and all these little pieces that make up who she is. And I pray that she know, again, how special, how loved she is, and how much she can do with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Christine. After we ended the recording, I thanked Christine for coming on, and she said something that stuck out to me. She actually thanked me, because when she gets to share Darla's story, it allows her to relive it and to sit with it. Sharing helps her feel close to Darla again in a way that she doesn't get to do every day. If you've gone through a loss like this, first of all, I am incredibly sorry. I can't even begin to fathom the pain that you've experienced. And I know it doesn't make sense. Even your delayed fertility, your lack of children right now, it doesn't make sense. But it's not the whole story, even though it feels like it is right now. I hope that Christine sharing her story will encourage you to open up to some people in your life, just like she was able to do on the podcast. As you share, I know it's going to bring healing to your heart. But also know this, our ultimate healing is coming. One day, we're going to step into eternity and the God that has counted every one of our tears throughout our lives is going to step towards us and wipe them from our eyes forever. Thank you for continuing to listen and share the podcast. I read your stories in absolute amazement that God is using this to encourage you in such a powerful way. I got an email a few weeks ago from a lady. She shared her story with me and then she wrote this as she ended it out. As part of our prayers, I always think of one of the most wonderful things I've heard since we started trying for a baby. God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. These words from your podcast are incredible words and I love sharing them with my husband. This time last year, guys, I was praying about the exact words I wanted to leave at the end of every episode. I was told by several people I trust that saying the same thing at the end would become a little redundant. And my response was, good. I want these truths to stick in our hearts. When we're having a bad day, God is with you. When you're fighting jealousy because every single person around you seems to be getting pregnant, He sees your heart. When you feel forgotten and alone, He loves you. And when you wonder if you can trust him with this part of your life, again, he is good. Friends, there will be beauty born from your journey. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.